Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode seven of Other Minds and Hands, and I'm joined today, as always, by Dr. Maggie Park. Hi, Maggie. It's uh, unusually early for you, right? I know. I was just saying to Corey, I feel like a different person. I'm in California, so I'm, I'm jet lagged because we have a baby that was up all night, but jet lagged. But it's 1 p.m. Like, right. I haven't done this in ages, so it's so nice to see you in the daytime. You've flipped all the way to the other side of me, and you're now three hours ahead. <laughs> so, time travel, man. It's or the three best. hours behind. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> fairly significant time travel. But um, it's nice to be awake, and I don't feel like I have to stretch myself to 11 p.m. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, that's excellent. That's excellent. Very good. Well, today I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to do some sort of anticipation. This is going to be a sort of uh, riddles in the dark flavor conversation, essentially, uh, as we are thinking about um, what they're going to do. Like, how are they going to handle, uh, you know, certain uh, adaptation challenges? And today I want to focus on the um, elf stuff, basically. I want to focus on how they're going to depict the elvish... Um, uh, political situation, basically, because it's it's kind of complicated, and it's complicated in more than one way, right? It's complicated in one sense, and, and like there are a whole bunch of characters that they're balancing. I don't know how much screen time each one is going to get. You know how much they're going to want to focus on, you know, the kind of different. Um, though it, I, it seems based on what we've seen that they're going to be, you know, investing. I don't think they're going to be streamlining it too significantly um but how are they going to handle it so okay so let me what is it what is what am i talking about here what is the i'm like give us the the bare basics here because i'm gonna try to play the role against Corey of being like wait who what how now (laughs) i don't know all these details so So, i want to know a bit about where we're going into this world and what do you mean politics like who's in charge how is the the struggle and things like that and then i'll try to chime in with like how that might be depicted visually or something Right. Okay. So let's go backwards a little bit and say, all right, so it's the end of the first age, right? So we've got the first age, which is the Silmarillion, you know, the, the primary Silmarillion period, right? Uh, after the War of Wrath, so you've got, you had the Noldor who, you know, you had the elves that were already over there that stayed in Middle-earth, right? Um, and then you got the, the ones that came back, the Noldor who came back to Middle-earth, the exiles who returned under sketchy circumstances. Uh, and they get, at the end of the first age, the War of Wrath, Morgoth overthrown the continent devastated. Um, most of the elves are invited, almost all the elves are invited to come back now into the West, right? To sail, to leave Middle-earth and sail into the West. The Noldor are un- unable to go back. All Most of the ones who are still alive choose to go, right? Only a small number of uh, folks stay, right? Stay in, um, uh, in Middle-earth. And they stay... The reasons why they stay, Tolkien does not get very explicit about the reasons that they stay, which is the first interesting question, right? What is the relationship? Like, what's the motive? What drives them, right? What right. Do they why want? would you want to leave your people and stay yeah, in this or, like stay, Yeah, stay behind. Like, they're all going, right? They're going back to Elvenholm. And you're like, no, no, no. I want to stay here for a few more millennia and do what? Like some kind of unfinished business in their mm-hmm. minds, it seems, right? Um, but there are a whole lot of options. Now, of these, you know, of the elves who stay, there are four primary, primary important uh, uh, kind of characters there, right? There's Gilgalad, the High King, 
um, whose name should really pr be pronounced Gilgalad. Don't let me corrupt you, Maggie. Gilgalad is how it's pronounced. It's one of those names I've been pronouncing s wrong since I was like eight. And, and there I, it is. I can't. I just, I, um, unless I'm thinking about it very hard or reciting it in poetry where the meter is forcing me to pronounce it properly, um, I, 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 so just little public service announcement don't i like that it's a nice little human like moment from you Flory. It, it's it's <laughs> I, I yeah i just i i've tried I, I i can't um but anyway okay so there's 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 gilgalad who is and he's the high king of the noldor um he's the high king of the noldor and of course you'll remember we had the conversation with new better do better about gilgalad and the the questions of that choice right you know he's either like has been the heir in waiting, right? And is finally now coming into his own as high king, or he is somebody who is a like a scion of a essentially a sort of a more minor house among the Noldor, who has now been elevated to high king, sort of in some sense almost unexpectedly, right? Um, depending on which genealogy they pick for him of the two genealogies that Tolkien wrote, um, his character could go in either uh, in either one of those. In, in either one of those ways. Anyway, the point is that um, uh, he's, so he's the one character, and he is the political leader of the Noldor, right? Um, now, in Tolkien's mind, Gilgalad uh, emerged, like his um, narrative job, right? He as a character grew out of the idea of the last, the War of the Last Alliance, right? At the end of the Second Age. Um, you know, Elendil and Gilgalad, right? The King of the Elves and the King of the Humans f joining together to fight against Sauron in, of course, you know, the, the, the scene from the prologue of the Peter Jackson films, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the very, very culmination of the Second Age. So Tolkien had a, a sort of a vision for that, right? For the, you know, this, this kind of mythic concept of the last alliance of elves and men and yeah. so Gilgalad the king of the elves who was representing the elvish half of that equation um, that's his that's like where he comes from in a sense in Tolkien's creative mind right that's his background um, so as Tolkien begins to kind of flesh out the world building of the second age some he he he, he's, he keeps Gilgalad Right, he's got Gilgalad, and um, he needs to keep him around because he he has a job. Right at the end of the Second Age, right, he needs to be the Elven King in uh, uh, leading the forces of the Elves in the the War of the Last Alliance. But of course, in the kind of new political situation of the Second Age, which emerges from all the other stories that he's telling, right? I mean, again, this is this is one of the things to remember is that in Tolkien's mind, the Second Age in Middle Earth was always a gap, right? It was mm. always a, like it's always it's it's a hole which is retrofitted in order to make other pieces work, right? Um you have the concept of the first age, right? And the end of the first age and most of the elves leaving and the idea of some of the elves staying. That's Elrond's job, right? Mm -hmm. Elrond's original job as a character is to be the link, the link between the first age and the later ages, right? He is like the, the 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 memory of the first age yeah, yeah he's he is he is he is the through line from the first age that's like conceptually that was always his job um and then tolkien invents numenor mm -hmm. right tolkien invents numenor and he wanted elrond to be the king of numenor too because 
Elrond, right? Like, there. You know, and, 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 and that idea, again, I think that the continuity from the first age would then kind of meld into the second age. I mean, in a lot of ways, the Numenor story, when Tolkien developed that in the 30s, was like the sequel to his first age material, which were, which were his original ideas, right? His original stories of Middle-earth. Um, so he, Elrond was the was the, the central figure, right? Going into the, you know, the link from the original story, the Quintus Silmarillion, into the uh, sequel story, which was the fall of Numenor. So he kind of wanted Elrond to be the king of Numenor as well. But he also wanted him to be remaining in Middle-earth as like the last link back to the elvendom of the mm -hmm. first age so he literally cloned him right that's why he gave him a twin that's where elros the first king you know the fact that so he he developed a twin brother for elrond like as it basically oh, in, in order to enable elrond literally to do both things in right two places. yeah yeah so the twin becomes elros the first king of numenor and elrond remains elrond and uh and stays in um uh, uh, stays in stays in Middle Earth. Um, when he first like the interjecting, when he first discovered yeah. that, was that just like, oh, how convenient, or did it make sense to you to like learn that? I thought it was hilarious. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 yeah. I mean, it was it was now on the that one hand. Strikes me like, as a get out of jail free card. Yeah, in a sense, but I mean, of course, like he hasn't, he had not at that point. Um, it's not a game he'd pulled very often. Right. Sure. So and and the, the way that he made it work, like the way that he makes the twinning of Elrond not just seem like Indeed. a hokey workaround. Right. Um, is the way that then that gets worked into the idea of the choice of the half elven. Right. So Eärendil, Elrond's dad, sail is the you know, sails back with the Silmaril from Middle Earth to Valinor in order to like that's at the end of the first age. Right. The first age ends when Eärendil sails in his wow. ship across the sea, gets to Valinor with the Silmaril on his brow, appeals to the Valar, and they agree, in response, they agree, like, okay, now's the time, we're gonna go stomp on Morgoth now, um, in response to, uh, in response to, to this, uh, to this appeal. And of course, his wife, Elwing, was with him. Both of them were descended from both elves and men. You know, they're the, they're the results of, uh, of, uh, you know, the two big, uh, you know, intermarriages uh, in the First Age and stuff. So they are given the choice, right? They, they have to choose. Do you want to have the fate of elves or the fate of men, right? Mm -hmm. And so having the two of them, the parents, Eärendil uh, and Elwing, and then having them have the two sons, right? Mm -hmm. One of whom chose human and one of ch whom chose elves. That gives the whole twinning thing a sort of a fitness, right? It's, it's Yeah, that works. Yeah, it, it, that, that's the, the thing I think that really makes it so, such that before I learned about the, you know, the circumstances basically under which he came up with the idea of Elros, um, it didn't seem cheap, right? Mm. Be because that seemed really fitting, you know. Because the payoff was so strong. So it really exactly. facilitated that happening. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. So the idea that, and of course it also means... Um, it, it facilitates the idea that, I mean, and we see this paying off still in The Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Aragorn and Arwen 
are the two descendants, right? Arwen mm -hmm. in the elf line and Aragorn in the human line of those two choices, mm -hmm. right? So you've got the two branches of the half-elven eventually after several thousand years coming together again and forming like the one united family from, you know, which is then the bridge, the bridge from the third age into the fourth age, right? Um, so all of that works really well, really right? Well. Um, you know, so it pays off very, very well. Um, this is why, I mean, I've often said, right? Tolkien is the king of retcon. Like he's he's he does this kind of thing, you know, where like the kind of thing where you would never guess it wasn't his idea all along. Right. Um, yeah. But some of his best ideas come from just essentially taking an awkward situation that he's discovered, you know, and being like, well, what do I do now? Right. And instead of changing it, his, his almost always his approach is to say, OK, the, the given situation is like a discovered fact. Right. Yeah. So I have yeah. to explain how that uh, how that came to be. But he just but he explains it like, you know, instead of looking up the answer to a math problem in the, in the back and just seeing the answer, he explains it with like pages and pages. So you believe yes. it as well. So, I mean, he he's got such a wealth of story in his head that the, the explanation never feels trite. It feels valid and warranted. Right. Cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so that's El so again, so Elrond's job. Right. When we start the second age, Elrond's job is he is the the kind of, the, as I say, the link back to the first age. Right. Um, Gilgalad's job, he's invented to be the, the king of the elves, the leader of the elves in the Battle of the Last Alliance at the end of the second age. Right. And that concept came in before he really had a clear idea. Um, Gilgalad is not really a character in the Silmarillion. That is, I mean, he's mentioned in the published Silmarillion, of course, but he doesn't take part in any of this. Like when Tolkien was writing those stories, right? Tolkien's original version of the Silmarillion was the Book of Lost Tales, right? It was just a collection of individual stories. Um, none of those stories involves Gilgalad. Like he's not a character in any of Tolkien's original stories. Um, so what Tolkien does since he's like, okay, I've got this elf king, right? This high king that I want to be high king at the Battle of the Last Alliance. So I've got to work him backwards, right? I've, 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 you know, into, you know, what we're, um, what we're, what we're seeing. Um, so that means now we, so here's the political situation that now, just from these two, right? Because this is these, and because these are both the first two, um, Elrond and Gilgalad are the two um, sort of oldest um, elements of this, right? Part of this kind of deeper structure of his stories as he's conceptualizing them. So the, one of the very first things that Tolkien has to do in filling in the gap, which, it, you know, again, the, most of the Second Age was simply a gap. Not the Numenor story, right? The Numenor story is the main story. But what's happening in Middle-earth while Numenor is going on is a black hole for a really long time, right? Um... Uh, remember at the, the time that I'm talking about here, the 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 history, the the point in Tolkien's life that I'm talking about, the rings of power aren't even ex invented, right? Mm -hmm. the, the rings of power not a glimmer in his eye. Galadriel's not a glimmer in his eye, right? None of those things exist yet, um, but Elrond and Gilgalad already do. So, um, how do they work together, right? They've got their two roles and. Gilgalad's role from the beginning was a leadership role, very much, right? He is the leader of the elves. He's is, he is the high king. Um, his job is to lead them into battle in the last alliance at the end, right? That's what, that's, you know, from a, from a kind of a narrative perspective, that's what Tolkien needs him for, right, uh, at the end. Um, so what's his relationship with Elrond? 
you know, why is Elrond not king? It would kind of see, I mean, when you look at the genealogies, right, and you look at how, where kind of Elrond comes from, he seems like the obvious natural leader. His dad was the leader, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of the, you know, uh, uh, you know, of the, the last remnants at the end of the first stage. Why would he not take over afterwards, right? Um, so that's one of the first things that Tolkien has to deal with. And I think that's going to be, that's obviously an issue that they have to reconcile now. So how did Tolkien reconcile this? Tolkien reconciled this, um, what with, um, the, uh, by making them really close friends, basically Mm. he, he has Elrond be, um, you know, uh, Gogo adds Alexander Hamilton for like, a couple of millennia, essentially. Um, they're there together. They live together in Linden. So Linden is like, what is the new, um, you know, it's like, imagine um, Linden is like, uh, you know, what, I don't know, like Utah would be if uh, California did actually fall into the ocean, right? <laughs> right. Like the new beachfront property. Comparison. <laughs> like yeah. I probably shouldn't say that while you're actually in California, but no, but seriously, I mean, like the, 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 most of the continent sinks, right? Um, where, where, where they are on the new West coast of, of, uh, you know, middle earth is nowhere near where the old West coast of middle earth used to be. Right. Um, but anyway, it's, the new west coast of middle earth and that's where that's where gilgalad's uh you know sets up his 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 kingship so he definitely does decide okay the kingship of gilgalad has to um be the through line right mm-hmm. you know he, he he needs to be if he's going to be king at the end obviously we're not going to get rid of elrond or so we can't have elrond the king at the beginning and then gilgalad take over because you know that elrond yeah. makes it through yeah. is one of the givens right so um so we can't do that uh so um, okay. So what, so how's he going to do that? No, no, this is something he never talks about the succession. Like we don't get, we don't know anything about like, oh, how did Gilgalad become King? You know, that's exciting. I mean, if you just gave me those little notes on a character arc, you'd be like so much you can do with that because mm-hmm. you assume there's some sort of tension there. There has, even if they're BFF, there's going to be some sort of underlying tension, right. but they support each other and both come to this amazing end there's a lot right. they can play with there. So yeah, what will, how, I, I don't want to jump the gun. I'm like, what will they do with that? Keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, I, one of the things, so one of the things that we can see, and this is, I think, a, a, a you know, I, well, okay. One of the things we can see in the, uh, from the casting and mm-hmm. from the trailer, right. Is they're making, at least visually, it looks like, Elrond is significantly younger. Whether they're making him, it seems to be a junior partner. What we've, should, assuming we're correct about who Gilgalad is, which seems, I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah. Um, uh, in in the in the trailer, I mean, uh, then they're making him very sort of regal, very senior statesman mm-hmm. looking. Um, he, uh, we we see him in several positions of authority, standing in front of a you know conclave, wearing a different color robe to everybody else, and mm-hmm. um, you know he's he's he, he's in a very uh, he look you know the actor looks a decade older, you know, than the, the guy who's playing Elrond. You never really know about those kinds of things in real life. But, uh, but anyway, he, the, the El, Elrond looks young, right? I mean, it looks like, you know, and he's never depicted in these, you know, political 
roles in that in that trailer it's he's always yeah. in some sort of a traveling or adventuring right. kind of stance right exactly so we don't really know what he would look like and how he would act if he were there in the you know, we do see that one, like what looks like a council scene or something. Mm -hmm. uh, the one up on the cliff top under the trees and everything. Yeah. Um, that very kind of Council of Elrond-esque feel, you know, in that one moment in the trailer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, yeah, as you say, we don't see Elrond there, you know, and we don't know how he would be acting and how other people would be acting towards him and everything there. Um, I, uh, so it seems that there, I just, you know, kind of extrapolating from the very little that we've seen so far in the trailer, it looks like they're definitely making Elrond the junior partner. Like, of the two, Gilgalad is the natural choice for a leader. Like, there's no real rivalry because he is the established, mm -hmm. like, you know, august personage, and uh, Elrond is the, you know, the young, scrappy up-and-comer. Um, and I have no reason to think they're going to necessarily depict, like, a strain in that relationship. I mean, again, mm -hmm. it's... It, when you actually look at it, um, they, the two of them, Gilgalad and Elrond, work together for an immense amount of time. I mean, like millennia. They mm -hmm. are like, you know, hand in hand partners uh, in, 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 you know, ruling over the Noldor there in Middle Earth. Um, so it's, I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable. People, don't think so much about Gilgalad as king because, you know, he certainly doesn't get as much press as the Silmarillion kings, like, you know, uh, you know, like Finway and Fingolfin and, you know, the great, the, you know, those, the exciting high kings of the Noldor during the Silmarillion period. Um, but the time, even just the time when Elrond and Gilgalad are working together, like living both in Linden and working together, is like five times as long as all of the other reigns of the High Kings of the Noldor combined. I mean, it's wow. I, I, not Finway because Finway is it's, his dates are uncertain because he's the first High King of the Noldor that we get from when they first march towards Valinor. But anyway, I mean, it, it's a big deal. Like, really I mean, he's, substantial. Yeah, he's he's around for a long time, and they're working, um, they're working together uh, for for um, uh, for a really long time. Um, uh, yeah. Um, can I just pause for a second to say to folks in the chat, um, I am, ha I'm following along with what's being said in the chat and I'm happy if you guys have questions or like want to make contributions to this discussion, I'm really happy to do that. I see some people like debating completely irrelevant things to what's going on. And I have to admit, like, let me just tell you, I know like different shows work different way, but in this show you're doing it wrong. Okay, you can talk about the shape of elf ears anytime you want. This is the time that you have to talk with us about what's going on here. Like, oh, I'm totally paying attention to what's happening in the chat. So if you have questions and contributions, I'll, I'll totally take those into account. Um, and you can talk about elf ears if you really want to, but I don't see why you would uh, under these circumstances. Just saying, just saying. Um, uh, so um, uh, anyhow, uh, okay, so uh, so. The idea that they're, you know, if, as it looks like, if they're going to depict Elrond as like the junior sort of um, uh, supporter, right, yeah. of Gilgalad, um, I think that that's um, a fine way to kind of reconcile the, not exactly the tension, but again, like, um, I mean, I, I think that's, 
a, a an extension of how Tolkien himself reconciled it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was clear, he clearly decided Gilgalad was in charge, right? And Elrond yeah. works for him. Um, the addition of um, the addition of the uh, uh, um, age gap, like vi- visible age gap thing. Um, is not something Tolkien talked about. I mean, in the very few texts that we have about his describing the Second Age, we don't get anything about that. Um, the primary, but there's, but I think it's, I, I think it's justifiable. One of the things, and in, 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 you know, Maggie, I know this is the kind of thing that you can talk more about, but like, one of the, one of the things you have to do when you're depicting things, you need to present some kinds of, you don't have time to explain everything, right? You don't have time to talk about everything. You need to provide viewers with cues, like clearly interpretable cues, right? Um, and in my mind, this is one that works really well, right? I, I mean, if I, if you put, we didn't see in the trailer, the two of them standing together, right? Or the two of them interacting with each other, but, it's easy to imagine, mm-hmm. you know, the trailer Elrond standing next to trailer Gilgalad. And if they were just based on visual cues, I have no question who's in charge here, right? They have established he's the boss and this other guy is his, you know, mm-hmm. chipper junior assistant. You know, like, and it'd be so, and it'd be so easy for that to be misinterpreted if it was shot in a different way. But the fact that they only showed Elrond doing X and they've only showed him doing Y, then there's not really. Did you see me just skirt right past the name because I forgot how, which one was correct to pronounce it? Feel glad um, of of just how to present that and exactly mm-hmm. like the fact that we don't question it means right. they did their job. So if they if they yeah. if they've shown us this guy and we're clearly like, yep, he's in charge. They didn't have to explain it. Like we're we're beyond that. We're not wondering if there's tension about who should be in charge. We're like, no, 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 he's in charge. And it's he's fine. in charge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, you can now then you can, you can then, play with other dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's in charge. Whoa, how does that work, right? Is uh, you know, are they cool, right? You know, is Elrond like a you know devoted assistant to yeah, him? Like, is there resentment? Is there, is there, and is yeah. there a dynamic that like, I mean, because it'd be so easy to shoot that show intention if they just edited it slightly different so the stairs were coming in at different angles or if they were looking right. straight across or if they were doing upshoots, all those things mean different things in how we interpret that relationship. So if it was shot in a way that built tension into that relationship that we thought Elrond right. felt like the little brother, do you think that would be jarring? Right. Yeah. Do I think it would be jarring? Well, a little bit, a little bit. So I, it sounds like I, it because it sounds like it's a really natural role for them to be in these places. So I, I yeah. mean, it, to me, that's one of those things you kind of hope Amazon doesn't play with that tension because there's so many other opportunities. So many, and that's on. exactly the thing. Like yeah. so far, I've talked about two variables, right? Elrond right. and Gilgalad. There's at least two more, right? Yeah. Uh, two and a half more counting Celeborn as a half a variable there's two and a half more variables uh, in this equation right um and so in my opinion investing a lot of tension between Elrond and Gilgalad would be unnecessary uh and it would it it would be um having them now especially since there's plenty of other things like if you want to introduce some like tension into Elrond's storyline, you know, some kind of, um, you know, drama into Elrond's own personal arc. There's plenty of other places it can mm-hmm. come from than, you know, him having, you know, uh, you know, daddy issues with Gilgalad or whatever. Right. right? You know, um, 
uh, I think it would be nicer. I, I, what I'm sort of hoping for is that they should, because it's, again, it's, it, I mean, this is like the, the, the millennium long buddy cop show of Google right. and, and Elrond, right? I mean, that's kind of what's in my imagination, right? You know, yeah, like so this, let's not focus on the four days that they had a tiff. <laughs> right, exactly. And, uh, so, uh, um, besides which also there's enough, there's, there's enough tension from outside. Right. Yeah. Um, and even that I'm thinking of the, the really kind of two Elrond moments that we get in the trailer. Right. Um, and in the, one of them is when he's like on his knees looking really frustrated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is and from what we're seeing going on in the background, which is not clear, but looks like it might be dwarves celebrating. Um, it looks like he's been sent on some mission that is not going well, right? And that's the kind that of was, thing that I can see, you know, working for him. And that was an upshot, right? Wasn't he looking up in that moment? I haven't rewatched it, but I think so. Yes, yes. That, that one felt very like, I am small, I am aspiring, I am reaching. You know, there was very much that moment. And like you said, frustrated of just like he's trying to achieve and hadn't. And the way that was shot just felt that way. Like he was at the bottom of a pit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as uh, Dia, Dia Medea, I think you put an accent there. As Dia Medea in the YouTube chat says, um, Elrond can have plenty of opportunities for tension with the Numenorians. Dia Medea, that's a brilliant suggestion. Because remember, these are his twin brother's descendants, right? Elrond's relationship with Numenor can be really interesting, right? On the one hand, there's going to be a certain closeness, right? A certain... Um, I don't mean proprietary in the sense that he feels like he owns it, right? But like he's invest- he's going to be invested in mm-hmm. Numenor. This is his twin brother's people, right? Um, and he is going to be keenly aware of like his twin brother's legacy in in Numenor, right? So when Numenor starts to screw up and go wrong, that's going to be really hard for Elrond to watch, right? And I don't doubt he's going to mm-hmm. be tempted to like do something say something right but he doesn't you know he's hands off with Numenor so anyway yeah there's a lot of uh, really cool opportunity for for tension there um sure. and uh anyway so that's um uh that I think is uh is interesting now uh Scott says wasn't there tension between uh Gilgoad slash Elrond and Thranduil slash Orifer uh yeah so there we're talking about um so I've been saying Gilgalad is the High King, right? Gilgalad is the High King of the Noldor. That is the High Elves who came back to Middle Earth in exile and disgrace, right? But are awesome as well, uh, right? And anyway, most of them are gone. A few of them still remain. Gilgalad is their king. That doesn't make him the High King of all of the Elves in Middle Earth by any stretch, right? Because they're the Elves who never went to Valinor, who have been living here the whole time, and they're like, "Who are you?" Right. Um, they, they, they would respect him, um, but they don't serve him. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the most significant um, sort of spot for them. Um, uh, OK. One of the two really significant spots <laughs> for them is Mirkwood. Right. So this is the, these are the Wood Elves of Mirkwood. Thranduil, of course, is the Elven King and the Hobbit. Right. And the King of, you know, Legolas's dad uh, and the King of the Wood Elves um, in both the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings. Right. His father, Thranduil's father, Orifer, um, was killed 
at the Battle of the Last Alliance. So when later on in later world building mode, uh, Tolkien kind of fleshed out that story a little bit, uh, kind of connecting the dots between, okay, I have this wood elf population from The Hobbit, essentially, right? Which kind of then extended in, um, what were they up to? They must have, like, you know, played some role in the Battle of the Last Alliance. Either they came or they didn't come. And if they came, what happened? If they didn't come, why not, right? So, you know, again, this is how Tolkien backfills the story. Mm-hmm backfills the hole, which is the second age in Middle-earth, right? So when he backfilled the hole of, uh, uh, you know, there for that, in that regard, he's like, okay, so we've got Thranduil's dad, Orifer, who's the king of the Sylvan Elves, right? Of the Wood Elves uh, there in Mirkwood. And he's not warlike and he's not really into things. Um, what Tolkien decides eventually is that he does bring uh, the Elves of Mirkwood to the battle. But he makes him kind of Orifer. He makes Orifer kind of a fool. Um, where Orifer um, comes to the battle, but he's uh, they don't do armor. The Wood Elves mm. don't really do armor. They don't really do armor and heavy weapons. Um, so they basically, they go to the Battle of the Last Alliance, but they totally bring a knife to a gunfight, basically, mm. is how he depicts the Wood Elves. Like, they come with their no armor and their slender woodland bows, uh, and they get slaughtered. Uh, by the heavily armed orcs and trolls of Mordor, um, and Orifer is killed. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's um, it's 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 a really interesting choice that he makes. You know, to like on the one hand they're going to be involved, on the other hand they're going to remain independent. They're being definitely sort of resistant to being ruled over by the Noldor, um, and yet. They're, they they don't look great. Orifer does Ooh. not does not have. And then Thranduil, his son, who survives, right, goes back with the survivors to Mirkwood and says, "Okay, from now on, isolationism. We're just we're gonna we're doing our thing." And this is where you get the Hobbit Wood Elves and you know yeah. the 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 Wood Elves of the Lord of the Rings. Um. Uh. So um. Anyway, that's that's that's, well, that's the... pretty excellent tension amongst all the elves too. That I don't think you would normally necessarily pick up on. So having that kind of history between all these people that you see as one united race or not right. one united. No, not one united race. And mm-hmm. by the way, so when I said there are like two and a half other variables in the, I wasn't even counting Orifer as variable. He's he is one. I mean, and we should count him because we know that the Sylvan elves are going to be brought in uh, in the series. Um, but this is an important thing to remember, right? As you say, this is not in any way a kind of like monolithic, you know, the elves mm-hmm. hold together, um, uh, not, n- not at all. Um, the, the political situation is complicated even if you don't consider <laughs> what's going on in Mirkwood and with the Sylvan elves. Um, but um, anyway, so, okay. Uh, um, oh, and uh, let's see. Phil was asking, what are the odds uh, that there were other elves further to the east. A hundred percent? We know there are elves further to the east. We know that the Avari, uh, the elves who never even left Quivianen at all, um, uh, the unwilling elves who have been going their own way since the beginning of Elvendom um, and having nothing to do with any of it, are still wandering around and lurking around out in the east. There's absolutely every reason to think. Um, uh, uh, absolutely every reason to think that they're, uh, uh, that they're out there. Um, uh, Fingen120 on Twitch uh, is asking, isn't Gogolad the first High King of the Noldor that did not see the two trees? Yes. Yes, I believe so. We, we're not told exactly when Gogolad is born, um, but um, I, I, 
he's not mentioned until they're established in Middle Earth. It seems likely he's born uh, in Middle Earth, but that's not uh, really clear. Um, a lot of it is not. <laughs> It's not really clear. And he changed his mind. What, what is clear gets uh, redone uh, at a later point. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, uh, Diamondia, um, Elrond says that he's Gilgalad's herald. That's the title that he gives himself, right? Um, he's his herald um, in the war of the Last Alliance, right there at the end. Um, and herald was a fairly specific role, which Tolkien fleshed out uh, later on. It's... Um, it's a very significant role. It doesn't just mean like I'm the dude who carries your banner, um, which is one definition of herald, right? Um, and it's um, that's true, but it's 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 more than that. it's a good deal more than that. Um, it means that he was his like you know general, like his military leader, basically. Um, uh, the the one who was in charge of. Uh, in, in fact, I would say actually how Peter Jackson depicted that. Like, you'll remember at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring film in the prologue sequence, Elrond is giving commands um, at the line, right? He's telling the, you know, you, you remember those images of Hugo weaving in armor, shouting, uh, you know, commands to the Elvish line. And, and that's, yeah, that would have been his role. That, that's exactly what his role would have been as, as, as Harold. Um, so uh, Jackson actually got that exactly right. Um, but again, does that mean that that was his job all the way along? I mean, it's a kind of a martial role. And remember that at the beginning of the Second Age, Morgoth has been overthrown. They think that there's no, they think war is done, right? Mm. I mean, they, they don't, they, until the shadow of Sauron begins to arise centuries later, they don't, they're not in a military situation, right? Um mm -hmm. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, so, all right, let's, um, uh, let me try to recover my thread of where we were here um, with... Two and a half threads. Two and a half, two and a half other, yes, two, two and a half other uh, variables. Okay, so going back to the Noldor, so I talked about the Sylvan Elves a little bit. Um, uh, going back to the Noldor then. Um, the Noldor are still, they're, they're like the, they're the greatest in the sense of being like the most powerful of the elves that remain in Middle-earth. Um, but they're also just like the ones the stories are about. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's, uh, the, that's what the, um, you know, the stories of the Silmarillion and, uh, and later really focus on, right? I mean, it's like, um, essentially the lore that we have that comes down from those days all came through Elrond's library, basically. <laughs> so, like, this is these are the stories that we get, um, and that's that's very much kind of the frame, uh, okay. basically, of of, uh, of of the story. So, anyway, so back to the sort of Noldor situation over there, um, and uh, uh, all right. Um, now we get so we, we have the Elrond Gilgalad situation that we talked about. There's another factor that comes in, and that's Celebrimbor, right? So, okay, remember that the whole idea of the ring of, Rings of Power is a later concept on Tolkien's part, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't even think of the Rings of Power until in the process of writing the Lord of the Rings. Not even in writing The Hobbit, he has no idea 
about the rings of power historically or you know bilbo's ring is just a magic invisibility ring um that uh bilbo finds in this you know fairy tale that he's telling um in the hobbit in which he's recycling a whole bunch of material some from other stories like beowulf and uh you know germanic uh various germanic mythology and 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 other things and um uh and a, a bunch from his own stories as well He's recycling all that stuff, making this fairy tale. He writes the sequel, and the moment is when the Black Rider shows up, right? When this guy comes up from behind, which is originally Gandalf, right? In his very first draft, he writes that it's a white horse and Gandalf is on it, sniffing and then giving the hobbits a hard time, right? Um, uh, detecting the hobbits by smell. Gandalf totally depicts the, catches the, or, or, or detects, rather, the hobbits by smell. With the hobbit. Yeah. Um, so, um, but then... Tolkien crosses out white and puts black and decides it's a black horse and it's a mysterious figure, which is an enemy and dangerous. And Tolkien, neither the hobbits nor Tolkien has any idea who this guy is, right? And this starts off the chain of thought. What is the Black Rider? Um, if, if like, What if it's a wraith? So this, this, this is what leads him ultimately to the concept Ooh. of ring wraiths, the concept of rings of power. Um, and so therefore, one of the things you notice, by the way, is that the idea of the corruptive influence, like that a ring of power makes you into a wraith, like mm -hmm. that was where the story came from, essentially. Like, that's the first germ of the mm. rings of power story, which is, I think, an interesting thing to remember. I love right? that. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, and, 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 and this is when he decides, okay, Bilbo's ring is going to be the one ring. Right. And so so the and, but now there's all this retconning to be done. Right. Where yeah. did this ring come from? What's going on? That, that it's Sauron's ring and Sauron existed already as a villain. Right. We already mm -hmm. had him as a villain because he was the villain of the Numenor story. Right. So Sauron is like available as a recycled villain and he's already semi recycled him in The Hobbit. Right. The necromancer yeah. is like Sauron recycled in The Hobbit. Right. So, OK. So the necromancer was like the offstage big bad in The Hobbit, right? Which is obvious kind of sequel material when he's trying mm -hmm. to figure out something to do in the sequel. And so he's like, okay, the Necromancer totally is Sauron, right? And, oh, okay, and Sauron did the whole Rings of Power thing. Okay, right. Um, and then he, um, uh, he's got to figure out where do, these, where do these come from, right? What's going on here? Um, Phil asks, did Celebrimbor exist already or was he manufactured for the Lord of the Rings? Functionally, he is manufactured for the Lord of the Rings. I say functionally because, I mean, like the, that there were descendants of Feanor around, like, is a thing, right? Um, but if you know the Silmarillion well, in the Quenta Silmarillion, in the First Age stuff, where is Celebrimbor referred to? What role? does Celebrimbor play in the story? And the answer is none. Right? <laughs> he doesn't ever play a role in the story. He's mentioned once. He's mentioned once. And that's when his father, Curifin, son of Feanor, Curifin and Celegorm are doing horrible things, right? And they're usurping the kingdom of Nargothrond and then they get kicked out, right? And you may remember there's that one sentence that says, at this time, Celebrimbor... Uh, forswear, you know, forswore the deeds of his father and remained in uh, in Nargothrond, right? That's it. That's it. Um, but guess what? Tolkien didn't write that sentence. Christopher wrote that sentence. 
Um, this is one of the sentences that it's Christopher confesses to writing that sentence um, in the uh, when we um, I'm forgetting. Was this in? I think it was in Morgoth's Ring. Uh, we were just discussing that last year. Um, uh, there are only a few things Christopher tries when he when he edits the Silmarillion, he tries to write as little new material as possible. Right. He tries to write as little new material as possible. Um, what he did was kind of go through and take of all of the different versions of these different these stories that Tolkien wrote. He kind of takes as much as he can. He takes like the latest version, the latest version of each story that will fit with the other versions of the, the story. Because there are some versions which are based on like some major changes, which just can't be reconciled to the other stories, which he did not rewrite in the same vein. So anyway, whatever he tries to, he, it's, it's this huge complicated patch job that he's trying to do, but he always, one of his prints one of his editorial principles was as much as possible. I'm going to take the different writings that my father did and I'm going to piece them together. And by the way, it's such a brilliant job that he does. Mm, like um, if anyone has ever tried to do this kind of thing, like patch together, I mean, it's, that the Silmarillion doesn't end up sounding like a hideous patch job is in, is just a testimony to well, and, and of somebody else's work. I mean, I can't yes. do it with my own multiple versions of a single paper that I'm trying right. to write. You know, like the fact that he can do it with somebody else's, and he's using journals and notes and drafts and everything else. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 amazing. But he does explain, um, you know, in his editorial notes. There are some moments when, like, none of the versions of the text, the full text that Tolkien wrote, can tell. Like, there's a detail that needs to get inserted because it's going to be important later on. And he's going to be incorporating other texts that Tolkien wrote that include that story later on. Mm -hmm. And so, but there is no version of the earlier. And, but so, like, basically, when there's a thing that has to be true, right? Um, yeah. But which is not included in the original texts. He grudgingly includes it. And when he does, he does it as briefly as usually. It's often like one sentence that he yeah. adds in. Um, this is one of those sentences. That sentence, the reference to Celebrimbor in the Silmarillion is one of those examples where Christopher added that sentence because it's crucial. Like there has to be a backstory for Celebrimbor. Why is he around in Eregion yes. making rings of power in friendship with the other elves? Right. Um, and, it feels uh, really masterful to me that he was able to plant that in there and make it a focal point. So when you do retroactively fill in that gap, it's there. That's that's yeah. a beautiful way to put in a foundation stone a hundred right. million years in the future. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's wow. uh, it, it's really good. But anyway, so the point is. So this is why is the an the, the answer to the question is Celebrimbor made up in the Lord of the Rings. Essentially, essentially, like that is. If you think of it in terms of the role that Celebrimbor plays, what is Celebrimbor's narrative job, right? What does he do in the history? Make the rings of power, right? That is his deal. So, yes, in the context of writing the, you know, if you think back to Gandalf's explanation to Frodo, right, uh, in chapter two of Fellowship of the Ring, in, uh, the, the, the Shadow of the Past, um, that chapter, you know, in Eregion, um, you know, when he's explaining about the forging of the rings of power, that's, there you go. That's there essentially the birth of, of, of Celebrimbor's character. Mm -hmm. um, so we now have, after the fact, a third figure in the Noldor political situation, right? And Celebrimbor 
is a, for multiple reasons, a really complicated um, uh, factor to add in, right? Um, that is, there's a lot of freight <laughs> with Celebrimbor. On the one hand, the entire context in which he is being brought in is to be influenced by Sauron, right? He is like, Sauron is going to dupe somebody, right? And uh, work with, and Celebrimbor is the guy, right? So Celebrimbor, um, the whole premise of his character is really powerful Noldor dude who um, is going to make a, at least one seriously bad call <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah um so he he's gonna make a big mistake but now n notice tolkien doesn't make him a villain right you know he's not just like the wicked noldo who goes over to sauron or something like that no um, he's just a flawed yeah he's flawed um he's flawed he's uh um uh he's he is taken in right mm -hmm. he's 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 deceived by his own desires, you know, his own desire to make things, which is not itself a bad thing. Like, it's fine. Like, he doesn't... His own his own making of Rings of Power is not an evil act, exactly. Um, but anyway, it's, it, it's complicated, right? The whole dynamics between him and Sauron are complicated and potentially really, really interesting, right? But of course, the choice that um, Tolkien made to make Celebrimbor the grandson of Feanor Mm. Um, it has huge impact, right? Because, of course, Feanor uh, was the king of very bad choices uh, in the first age, um, but also the greatest elf who ever lived. I mean, he gets all... He... he, he um, you know how sometimes in Tolkien, uh, an elf is given a superlative, Right. Like Luthien is the most beautiful, uh, you know, elf who ever lived. Her father Thingol is the tallest uh, of all of the children of Iluvatar. Uh, Feanor has like a whole trophy cabinet full of superlatives. Like he is he is the 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 the, the smartest, strongest, most beautiful. I mean, most talented. I mean, he is he is the greatest uh, as far as like his sheer. I'm not saying greatest in the sense of like his resume is most impressive, right? I mean, he accomplishes some of the most horrible things ever, right. and, you know, screws everything up completely. Um, his track record, really bad, but his potential, like his ability, yeah. absolutely right. top shelf. He is the he is the greatest, strongest, most intrinsically powerful elf who ever lived. Um, I like Higgy Baby's comment. Uh, he's got all the Boy Scout badges. I was just thinking like, yeah, he's in Boy Scout. Got it. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like Eagle Scout, uh, uh, you know, quarterback of the football team, mm -hmm. homecoming king, uh, <laughs> a valedictorian, all, all of it. Yeah. That's that. That's Feanor, right? All of those things. With the um, ego to match. With the ego to match, right? You know, who then, like, you know, well, I don't even know how to parallel it from the high school situation. But I was wondering I, how far you were going to take that. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm just going to cut off the metaphor right there. But uh, anyway, so um, he, he, Celebrimbor is his grandson, right? Now, he's not his grandfather, right? And his family, the Feanorians, were a big problem. And mind, there's political tension with the mm. high kingship, right? Feanor is the oldest son. 
Um, and he becomes sort of takes upon himself the leadership of the Noldor when his father dies, right? Then Feanor dies. And this is the first big political question. Okay, who's the leader of the Noldor now? Is it Feanor's son, right? His eldest son? Or is it uh, uh, Fingolfin, his, uh, Feanor's younger brother? Because there's already been a problem. Feanor's betrayed them, right? So um, Fingolfin has led his people and their other little brothers, people across. And they're like really resentful because they were betrayed by the Feanorians. And there's all, there's like a, actually a threat of civil war between them, between the Feanorians and the followers of Fingolfin. Um, Mithros, the son, the eldest son of Feanor is captured uh, by Morgoth. And then he's single handedly rescued. There's a, there's a, there's a solo rescue mission by Fingolfin's oldest son, who is close friends with Feanor's oldest son. And he goes, Fingon goes and rescues Mithros, um, and brings Mithros back essentially from the dead. Basically Mm. Mithros was, was, uh, was, was completely out of it. And at that point, Mithros then officially, you know, his brothers, the Feanorians, are like, Mithros, you're totally high king right now. Our father's dead. You're totally the high king. And Mithros abdicates. Mithros says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be a high king. Fingolfin should be high king. He's grateful for his rescue and has respect for his friend. And he also is making a positive step to reconcile that he knows they're all hosed. Morgoth is going to destroy the lot of them if they fight against each other. Like, this is mm-hmm. not going to accomplish anything. So he makes the really wise and brave political move to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to swear off any, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And that's how the high kingship comes into Fingolfin's line in the first place. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not to say that all of the Feanorians are cool with We're, this idea. Right. So that tension is there. All the way through, and the Feanorians continue. Other Feanorians, Mithros is uh, um, is a good guy. Um, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, Amy's Revenge says, uh, uh, "Great call by Mithros. Let's all give him a hand." That's a joke. He gets his hand cut off. But anyway, um, yes, yes. Um, but um, <laughs> right. Senalisha was enjoying my single-handedly uh, uh, rescues comment. I wasn't making a joke about you my guys, hand. You guys but anyway, so the point is, the point is um, that political tension remains, right? The yep. Feanorians as a group were never completely down with the line of Fingolfin, right? So on the one hand, that's lurking in the background. You got Celebrimbor, right? And you've got Gilgalad. So Celebrimbor is potentially a point of resistance, right? Even if he himself isn't agitating against Gilgalad's leadership, mm-hmm. right? There are likely people in his house, like people, you know, the descendants of the Feanorians who are still with him, who probably have never given up the idea that really they should have been king all along, right? And it was one thing when it was Fingolfin, and it was another thing when it was Fingon, and, uh, but who's Gilgalad anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Why should he, why should they listen to him exactly? Mm-hmm. That's less clear. Right? And that's something that needs to be sort of... A, so what exactly is the power dynamic between Celebrimbor and Gilgalad? Celebrimbor is running his own show, probably, right? He's the, 
He's the leader of the elves of Eregion, the elves of Holland. Uh, you, know, you remember from the Lord of the Rings when they travel through Holland, where there used to be elves before they come up to the gates of Moria, which were uh, was you know you know speak friend and enter in Elvish, right? Which is the you know the link between the elves of uh, mm-hmm. Holland uh, or Eregion and the dwarves of Khazad-dum, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was Gilgalad's people, right? That's 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 Gilgalad's folks right there in Eregion. Um, so they're f- geographically significantly removed from um, mm-hmm. from over there in the west where um, Gilgalad's people are in Linden, right? So there's um, they're s- living this kind of semi-independent existence in their own kingdom over there. Um, the high kingship, unless there's a war, there's really like it's not an issue, okay. really. You know. Um, they don't. It's not like they pay taxes or something. I mean, we have no evidence of that. I mean, it's uh, it's re- it's a leadership issue, right? But if we're all just hanging in our own kingdoms and um, you know doing our own thing and it's peaceful and whatever, there needn't be a problem. There needn't be a struggle, right? Where a struggle will come in is when a crisis emerges, right? When a crisis emerges, who's going to rally the folks? Who's going to make the decisions? policy decisions and stuff, right? So Sauron's arrival is a huge deal. Sauron comes and says, hey, uh, I'm a, my name's Anatar. Um, I'm, uh, I'm the giver of gifts, right? Uh, I've come among you to help and you guys are great, but could be better. And I'm here to bless you and, and uh, uh, help you, you know, make the world a better place. And Gilgalad and Elrond want nothing to do with him. They Ooh. distrust him from the beginning. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, no, forget it. So he goes to Kelly. They could tell there was something shady going on. Yes, yes. They have deep suspicions of this guy, right? But this really, that moment, as far as I can see, is one of the first, like, leadership moments of the Second Age mm-hmm. among the elves, right? Again, they're doing their own stuff, like, on a daily basis, you know, whatever. I'm sure there's, you know, like... Smaller threats, smaller things and stuff, yeah. but but that's just local stuff, which the you know local leaders would all handle themselves anyway. This is the Very first big like big picture policy issue, right? That comes up, um, and Gilgalad makes an important call, and he says, "Okay, I don't trust this Anatar dude," and he sends messages to everybody else saying, "Don't, don't trust try. this Anatar dude," right? Um, but Celebrimbor goes against that. Celebrimbor decides to work with him and that's a bad call right um it's a bad call but you can see there's lots of opportunity for um uh the sauron figure to play some kind of like worm tongue-esque role there Mm -hmm. with Celebrimbor, Mm -hmm. right you know and be like um you can see how all of the um you know deeply um buried tensions there can be brought up to the surface, right? You know, Gilgalad, Gilgalad is very wise, but, uh, you know, he's really, he's wrong and really overstepping himself. And you're not going to listen to him, are you? Like, you're your own guy, and don't you want this? And I can give you that, and this is what you really value. You make your own decision. And, and, uh, Mm -hmm. right. Oh, and besides, uh, you know, why should you Feanorians be listening to, you know, this Gilgalad schmuck anyway, right? That's a, That would be a later, you know, stage mm-hmm. in the disguise. So I can imagine if there's going to be like political tensions within 
among the elves, right? That's the most obvious thing. Yeah. Sauron's role there, mixing it up and creating tension where there would not necessarily have been great tension. Um, and I would imagine that in terms of like, I don't know, just the, the total show arc, they're going to want to tie it into stuff the wider population knows where they can. Yes. So I imagine if there's a way we can tie in Sauron, there's a way we can tie in something that is impactful on the rings, they will. Yeah. Because there will be a better payoff for that. So that that makes sense to me. And it seems like one that would be easier to depict visually that would offer some real dramatic opportunities to like build every character in that, but also the flaws and the the pros and the cons of this kind of rulership and you know, all those things. Right, right. exactly. And I didn't even mention, of course, how Celebrimbor um is the greatest craftsman since his grandfather. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's also this whole kind of like internal like, hey, you know, you could surpass the work even of your grandfather Feanor. And you're unlike your grandfather was a jerk, but you're not. Right. You're one of the good guys, Celebrimbor. Yeah, exactly. So you've got you've Mm. got ambition, desire to distinguish himself from, you know, both like I'm going to go I'm going to get out from under the shadow of Feanor. Right. Both in the sense of I'm not going to play second fiddle to the historical memory of Feanor anymore. But also Feanor did all this harm. I'm going to do good. Right. I'm going to. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, we saw as far as I could see nothing of Celebrimbor in the trailer. Right. So we, we have. The only thing we have is that poster image, which we never talked about the poster image of Kelly. I know, we didn't get to that and one. That was the one that, that was sent to me, actually. They, they sent me the poster of Kelly Brimbor, and we never even talked about it. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we, we probably should. Anyway, at some point. Um, anyway, um, so Kelly Brimbor, I think, is the clearest opportunity. And this is another reason why, again, I think introducing attention between Elrond and Gilgalad is just like not one too many, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be just sort of a distraction, um, uh, and make a, make a, an overly complicated situation, especially since I haven't talked about the last and biggest variable, which is Galadriel, right? Galadriel is the last character now to get invented. Um, Celebrimbor existed before she did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't invent Goadriel till in the Lord of the Rings he gets to Lothlorien. Um, his original plan in his drafts, which again you can you can see this in I think this is in Treason of Isengard, the first part of the Treason of Isengard, that or uh, Return of the Shadow. I'm not I don't remember exactly which, um, but the first time in the very in his very first draft when they get to, well, his very first draft of the time when they get to um, uh, to Lothlorien because of course. Tolkien didn't just like write one draft of the whole story. And this is not how Tolkien writes. Like he wrote a draft of chapter one and then went back and rewrote that and then went back and rewrote that and got as far as like chapter four and then started again and went back and and then got all the way to Rivendell and then started again. Um, So there's like eight drafts of chapter one and like only a couple drafts of the later stuff. Anyway, um, when they get to Lothlorien for the first time, the whole encounter with Haldir and the, you know, so like they come to the edge of the woods and they cross over the Nimrodell and the orcs are chasing them and they encounter the elves and the elves take them up to the flat um, mm-hmm. and the orc, you know, wh- while the orcs are coming by. That was it. That was like the elf encounter that he was planning. Um, and it wasn't until he got there and they're talking to the elves that he was like, um, oh. maybe they should take them to see their leaders. They should probably have leaders, right? And then he's like, an elf queen, 
Yeah, that's totally mm-hmm. what's going on. There's an elf queen, and she, they're gonna go into this fairy world and see the elf queen. Um, he was uh, fond of the concept of elf queens. Um, if you um, if you want to see a non Galadriel treatment of uh, Tolkien, of like Tolkien's idea of what like an elf queen in the midst of fairy is like, um, read Smith of Wooten Major, his short story. Um, uh, which is a has a really interesting depiction of the queen of the elves um, uh, in the middle of a fairy and her um, anyway like that's kind of like the sort of the role that Goadriel was in she's this elf queen in the middle of this fairy world there um, and that was so they come in and the character of Goadriel is born right and as soon as the character of Goadriel is born she blows up like mm-hmm. she rockets up Tolkien's own like list of favorite characters right and she becomes this central crucial figure all the way through you know even though like she herself is not in like traveling with them or anything like she's not involved Mm -hmm. but she becomes this iconic figure throughout the whole rest of the Lord of the Mm -hmm. Rings right after he gets there um so um yeah actually that's really true uh praise I agree with you that Goldberry is kind of a mini type also um when we meet Goldberry in the old, like Goldberry in the old forest is like a lowercase letters version of that concept of like the elf queen in the midst of the fairy realm. Um, she is kind of like that. And there is, as David Kaplan was recalling that, uh, wonderful, uh, and jazz as well, that wonderful, um, uh, my favorite simile in the Lord of the Rings, uh, when, uh, when Goldberry opens the door and they're surprised and he compares it to, uh, when, you know, somebody knocks at a wood, at a woodsman's cot looking for a drink of water and is greeted by a fair young elf queen clad in living flowers. Um, it's my favorite simile because, of course, a simile is supposed to take something that's strange and compare right. it to something that's familiar, right? And it's like that that simile nope. did not do that, right? It does something else, it but it does not a lot do more that. Questions. <laughs> yes, and more questions than answers in that simile, yeah. but. That's very uh, Tolkien, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just exactly. I mean, we, I think we've all we, we can all relate to that experience, right? Yeah. Everybody knows what that feels like. Um, but um, yeah, Dan, you're right. Uh, Meryl E. Turinki from the uh, from the Book of Lost Tales, uh, from the Cottage of Lost Play, is another uh, elf queen figure. Yeah, old, and so you can see she's like from the very very beginning. She's like in the very very first story Tolkien. Okay, no, the very, very first story that Tolkien wrote was uh, uh, The Fall of Gondolin. But anyway, from like the very beginning of the Book of Lost Tales sequence. Um, and uh, so th- this idea of a really important, powerful, sort of central elf queen figure is, um, and my, keep in mind, I'm not saying Goldberry is an elf queen. I'm saying there's a parallel there. Um, anyway, this concept was a, was a, a, a really... Um, mythic idea in Tolkien's mind. Like, it's a really powerful uh, image in his imagination, the image of the elf queen in the middle of the, uh, of her, like, woodland kingdom. And, um, so that's, so this is Galadriel, but of course now Galadriel, especially after she becomes this iconic figure, she becomes you know, by the end of The Lord of the Rings, it's clear Galadriel is the greatest, most important, most powerful elf remaining in Middle-earth, right? Mm -hmm. So now Tolkien's like, Huh. So, uh, one. right. How does that work? Right. Uh, 
now we've got to, we've got to not only go back to like insert her into the Celebrimbor situation and stuff. Um, I, okay, no, not only do we have to read her back into the rest of the Third Age stuff, right? What was she up to when, um, uh, you know, all this like the White Council and stuff were doing their their thing and everything? You know, so we, we we've got to explain that, but push it back to um, Second Age, right? Fill the second and First Age. Right. I mean, where, where was she? So he goes back and he writes her into. So all of the references to Goadriel and the published Silmarillion um, are later like retcon. Later like, and and oh. you'll notice she only gets ra- randomly referred to in like a sentence or a little paragraph that gets kind of shoehorned in. Um, you know, he's trying to place her within that story. It doesn't change the story yeah. in order to accommodate her. Make um, sure she's there. Yeah. And by the way, those are not Christopher Tolkien editions. Those are Tolkien editions. Um, Tolkien himself did that. You can see the revisions um, that he he did some revisions of this early material after writing The Lord of the Rings. And like writing Goadriel back in was one of his things. But the problem is his idea about Goadriel's character continues to like grow. It didn't stop. It didn't yeah. stop at the, at the end of the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Um, he continues to be like, okay, so she, so she's she's a really big deal because you think about this. I mean, this is um, really a real complication, right? I mean, it was okay. We had Elrond and Galadriel, and or sorry, we had El- Elrond and Gilgalad, and the reconciliation of them was. It's, I mean, even them alone was a little bit awkward. Like it was a, there was a little bit of kind of conceptual conflict between the two mm-hmm. roles that they had in the narrative, but he makes it work, right? Let's just let's have them move in together, and they'll be a team, and so therefore we're okay, right? Okay, fine. Um, and then we got Celebrimbor, and that's not a problem so much as it creates like interesting like dynamics and potential conflicts and stuff. So mm-hmm. we can That'll... do that too. But now we get this like trump card played on top of all of it, right? But now what happens, how does this, how does that balance of power among the three of them change when you then bring in the elf queen who's more powerful than all of them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, into this picture. What's she up to, right? What was she doing? Why is she not the high king? Yeah. Right? Um, and how does she feel about all these tensions that have existed before? Yes. Yes. So she's this like late in the day, free radical that kind of comes into this whole situation. But she's she's not tied to any role. Like, again, unlike Elrond has a job in the Second Age conceptually, like from his concept, from his beginning, he has got a role. His role is to be that link back to the First Age. Yeah. Right? Uh, Gilgalad has a role. His role is to be the High King and leading up to the the War of the Last Alliance, right? He's got a job. Celebrimbor's got a job in the Second Age. He's got to forge the Rings of Power and get deceived by Sauron, right? They've all got jobs mm-hmm. that, as part of the larger story. In the Second Age, Galadriel has no job. None mm. at all. There is no intrinsic, like, there's nothing that needs doing by her character because her role Celebrimbor was invented in the context of the Third Age story, yeah. right? In the context of writing the Lord of the Rings. But even in that context, he was a historical figure from the Second Age, right? So he always was a native, in a sense, uh, yeah. of the Second Age. Galadriel is a Third Age figure, but a Third Age figure who logically has to fit somewhere. Did we just need longevity with her then? We just needed her to be around for all these things to happen, but we didn't need her as a through line. So that would be one possibility. 
right? Okay. Um, that would be one possibility um, uh, that um, she could be like a sort of observer, right? Like mm -hmm. I have been here and I have seen it all. Um, and though I agree with, um, uh, uh, who is it? Phil, Phil's comment uh, to Nameless Arcanum. So Na Nameless Arcanum was saying was Goadra the oldest elf in the second age that we know about. Um, Phil is correct to say that would be Kyrdin, right? And so now I didn't even mention him. He didn't even count as a half of a variable, right? Kyrdin the shipwright. Kyrdin the shipwright, the guy who builds his, he's he, the boat builder, right? This is his job. He builds boats. He's the ferryman, right? His calling is to help the elves get back over the sea. So once the elves are invited back at the end of the first stage, his official job now becomes, I'm going to work the havens, right? I'm going to make ships so that when elves are ready to depart, from Middle-earth and go back to Elvenholm, they can. That's my job mm. to facilitate. But he's been around ages. Like, for I mean, there are conflicting versions of this as Tolkien changed his ideas, but there are definitely versions from around the time of right after the Lord of the Rings when he explicitly says that Círdan was one of the first elves ever to awaken by Quivienna. Now, again, he changed his mind about that later on, but still, um, the concept of Círdan was always he's been there for ages. Like, he's always been there, and he'll remain until the last elves go, and all that kind of thing. So, um, so we have the passive observer from antiquity elf. Like, that yeah. job's already filled, too. Círdan's there. I mean, Arcan Arcanum pointed that out. I think it makes the most sense for Gladiol to be the viewer focal point. I hadn't really thought about there being a single focal point. I, f I feel like the way they're going to tell this story is going to be similar to Game of Thrones, where we just get lots of little stories weaving into each other. Mm -hmm. But I guess if you're talking about facilitating, I don't think they'll do this, but I think they could do this, is using Gladriel as the through line in terms of a storytelling lens. That would make sense if she doesn't have a job. The Amazon could give her that job to be. Could the give her a job exactly. Now, now I, I'm not, of course, trying to say that Tolkien never found a job for her to do. Sure. Like he did, but this is why he. There are so many different jobs that he has her doing. And if you read the Galadriel and Celeborn chapter in Unfinished Tales, which is where Christopher basically brought in a whole bunch of the really scattered and conflicting and un, uh, you know, like fragmentary. Um, bits of stories that Tolkien was writing in his process of trying to rewrite Galadriel back into the Second Age. Um, so there's... Um, he... One of the... Okay. There, I, there, there are a whole bunch of things that he does. Um, there's a moment when he decides Galadriel and Celeborn... We were just discussing this in the Nature of Middle-Earth class last week. Um... Last, last Wednesday night, actually. Um, there's a passage published for the first time, I think, in The Nature of Middle-Earth, um, but it's from those writings that Christopher was bringing together, uh, was excerpting stuff from and summarizing uh, in the Galadriel and Celeborn chapter of Unfinished Tales. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage in The Nature of Middle-Earth where he says that Galadriel and Celeborn were accepted as the high lord and lady of all elves in Middle-Earth. So he creates a job, like a, a niche, a political niche for her above Gilgalad. Mm. Gilgalad is the High King of the Noldor, and he's going to stay the High King of the Noldor. But remember, like the business with Orifer and the Sylvan Elves and Thranduil and you know all the you know Legolas's folks over there in the Wood Elves. She and Celeborn are accepted by everybody, right? So Gilgalad works with her, Celebrimbor works with her. 
the Sylvan Elves respect her, mm-hmm. right? The two of them are the greatest authority over everybody in all of Middle-earth. Now, he never really plays out what that looks like. He, he said that at one point, right? Um, but we don't really get stories of that, you know, of how that would work. Um, and um, uh, frankly, I find it a little bit awkward, um, you know, it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's even just awkward on the simplest basis. Like, you're the high king, but she's the higher king of right. the high king. I mean, like the 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 kind of hierarchy that it um, creates is becomes just kind of weird. But again, one of the elements that Tolkien had with one of the things he had Galadriel doing in the Second Age. Um, in multiple versions uh, of this of, of these writings was um, to like basically be establish relations with lots of people. Um, she was working with Celebrimbor in mm. Holland, right? Um, in fact, he that's one place where he did, he basically had Celebrimbor working for her. She was um, he, the, so there's a version of the story where she is the one who establishes Holland. Holland mm-hmm. was her kingdom. Well, again. Caliborn's kingdom, technically, right? Because she likes to make him feel like he's involved. Um, but um, <laughs> everybody knows that Caliborn is basically her trophy husband, and that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, Justin Tate. Caliborn is definitely the Prince Philip uh, in that relationship. Yeah. yeah, that's, yes. I always picture Caliborn standing one step behind Galadriel. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so um, um uh, right. So, so th- there's this one where she is. Th- they, uh, th- they. Sorry, I meant they. They establish Holland, right? And Celebrimbor just works for them, right? So, Ooh. I mean, he's not the Lord of Eregion even. Celebrimbor isn't. He's just um, what he has is a faction, right? He's the head of the jewelsmiths. He's 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 the the you know the the, the great craftsmen, and so there are these other elvish craftsmen who work with him. Um, so. When he works with Sauron, he's basically kind of going rogue against Galadriel, essentially. She doesn't want anything to do with Sauron either, but Mm -hmm. he's like, actually, I'm kind of into this secret knowledge idea. Um, And so the, 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 you know, the guilt, the, 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 the jewelsmiths under, um, uh, under Celebrimbor become this little sort of faction slash cult, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, within Eregion. So anyway, that's, um. Uh, complicated. Um, yes, Phil, um, Galadriel did decide that, or sorry, Galadriel did decide. Tolkien did decide that Galadriel was of mixed elvish parentage, that she was Noldor. Um, that's clear from the beginning uh, of her character. But he also decided that her mother was from the Teleri, which gives her a blood relationship with the elves who didn't leave. Middle Earth as well. That's why she is the like liaison person, mm-hmm. person who has good relations from her mom's side with um, the elves who stayed in Middle Earth, and um, strong relations from her dad's side with the Noldor who were there. Again, it's one of the reasons why she's this person in the middle, right? Um, she yeah, can get along with everybody. They also had. Um, you will also remember in the Lord of the Rings, she has. I mean, th- there's a reason Gimli reveres her so much Mm. right she has this moment with Gimli where she shows her knowledge of and respect for the dwarvish culture um 
she was also the one. So the idea that the elves of Eregion worked with the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, of course, is part of Celebrimbor's original backstory, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, again, is something that Tolkien decides to kind of take away from Celebrimbor. Not the working with, exactly, but the but he, he gives it to Gladro. She's the one who initiated that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Celebrimbor did work with the dwarves, but that's because it was Galadriel who established the alliance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He exactly. benefited from it, but she made it. Right. So she is this kind of bridge builder. This becomes Ooh. kind of her role, right? Um, Overlady, <laughs> you know, is like one role that she's kind of put in. But uh, bridge builder among, like between the Noldor and the Sylvan Elves, yeah. between the Elves and the Dwarves. Um, this is this is one of the main things that we see uh, that, again, when he's trying to find like a job for her. And I keep saying job in the sense of a narrative job, right? What, right. what, what narrative work is she going to be moving forward? Why is her character needed, right? You know, what, 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 what is her character's job? Um, bridge builder and general overall counselor, wise person who is... Um, also so beautifully everybody. sculpted that she's also loved and revered and occasionally feared, but mostly loved mm -hmm. and revered that to be able to balance all of that and be this diplomatic bridge between these otherwise tension filled bodies. That's right. huge. So I, I, that is such a beautiful opportunity as well. And, and the fact that she's a woman makes me pretty stoked that we do have this wonderful, well-developed character yes. that could really bring it. This is exactly why I've been saying from the beginning that I am not only unsurprised, but really glad that the Amazon series seems to be choosing Galadriel as its kind of elf focal point sure. character. Um, mm -hmm. Because, th again, this concept of her being the bridge among the factions, right? She, um, if especially if you just decide not to do the whole she founded a Regian thing, right? If you mm. leave a Regian in Celebrimbor's hands, right? Celebrimbor is the one who founded a Regian. If we sort of stick with that, I'm, I'm 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 guessing here, right? But let's let's just say for argument's sake, that's the version of the story they go. They, they make Celebrimbor more or less autonomous there in Holland, right? In in a Regian, um, and they have Gilgalad over in Linden and maybe some tensions as we were talking about between Linden and, uh, and, uh, and Holland in that way. Okay. So where's Galadriel? Well, Galadriel's kind of roving around, mm. right? Um, Galadriel will have a relationship with Gilgalad and Elrond, which can be positive. She can have a relationship with Celebrimbor, which is, which can be positive. Um, footnote. And this is where things get really salty. Um, there's a paragraph, one paragraph that Tolkien wrote where he says explicitly that there was a love triangle between Celebrimbor and Celeborn and Galadriel. I was going to ask, what are they going to tap into? Because you know there's something involved in Galadriel that's going to be... Yep. 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 Um, now, I am not saying that I'm predicting they're going to do that. I'm not saying I think that would be an awesome idea, but it's there. Tolkien wrote yep. that. Tolkien wrote there... that. Now, Celebrimbor is good about it. Like the, the the paragraph that we get is a paragraph of dialogue between Celebrimbor or like a, a speech, basically a thing that Celebrimbor once said to Galadriel. And in the context of that speech, he's like, you know, it's all fair. I think we would have been great together, Galadriel, but you chose Celeborn and, you know, it's fine. Um, um, you know, we're still friends, bygones. Here's a present. Right. That's basically the paragraph that we get there. Um, but um, so 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're going to play on that. Um, and it's frankly, like, it can be kind of weird um, if, uh, depending on how closely they're related, Celebrimbor and Galadriel. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, but anyway, so it's, it's, um, um, it could also be sketchy. I mean, there's plenty of, I mean, you think about the history, uh, you know, from the Silmarillion, um, the idea of, um, the idea of Galadriel, uh, sorry, of a guy loving a woman who is little too closely related to him mm -hmm. and his sexual interest in her is kind of a red flag especially because there's also not just like kind of skeevy sexual tension there what totally one-sided sexual tension but also like political ambition factored into that that's that a story that's there but that Michael also takes me straight to that Game of Thrones comparison of the brother-sister. So it's like, oh, do we want... I mean, there's so many comparisons already between Amazon and Game of Thrones. Like, would they want to play that up? I... Yeah. I don't know that they would want to do that. I don't know that that would be a good... But again, it, it's, a it, it's, it's a precedent yeah. that exists in Tolkien's world, right? That that kind of desire... That kind of unrequited... I could imagine. I'm not saying I predict this. I'm not saying I'd like this. Yeah. But I can imagine them deciding Celebrimbor has at least a kind of semi-suppressed sexual tension towards Galadriel, but it's sketchy. She is creeped out by it, um, uh, politely creeped out by it, but it's a red flag, right? It's yeah, one of the things also, that warns us that Celebrimbor is, is in, you know, kind of danger. Well, then that, I mean, that just makes it ripe for picking in terms of story development. So like, I think I'd almost be more comfortable if they use something like that though, because there's evidence of it in the text for them to then yes. invent something instead, because we know they're going to invent, like we've said it before, we have these leaders, we have to see the people they're leading. There's going to be a lot of invention of characters we're not familiar with, and we'll see a right. lot of tensions and character development from that invention. Yes. So if they include something that is at least referenced, then that's a bit of an Easter egg for us and a nice little nod to the fans to say, yes, we hear you and we'll play with this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 mm. uh, it is, there's a lot of really interesting potential there. Now I've been neglecting Mia asked on uh, YouTube a long time ago, a very sensible question, which is when to go and Celeborn meet. Whew, boy, is that a hard question to answer because again, Tolkien wrote four versions of that story. He never really worked it out. Um, in some versions, Caliborn is a close relative of Thingol of Doriath and they met when Goadriel was there. It's one of the ways in which she gets written into the published Silmarillion, that she's hanging out in Doriath with Millian um, and that there she meets Caliborn and they get married after that. He also wrote a version of the story later on where... Um, Celeborn is one of the Teleri in Valinor and she meets him in Valinor and they get married there and then come across to Middle-earth not even a, with Feanor and the rest of the Noldor. They're like their own little private exile from, uh, uh, from Valinor. And that's like really awkward. Uh, that story, I, 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 that story does not does not work for me. And Tolkien did not ever flesh it out. He was just like he was spitballing at that, <laughs> at that point, basically uh, trying to trying to figure out kind of the story of Galadriel. Essentially, it seems to me what's going on there is he wanted to distance Galadriel from Feanor. Basically, okay. you know, he didn't want her to be guilty like the other Noldor are guilty, right? He wanted to separate her from okay. that, and so he's like, okay. She says no to Fanor, right? And the rest of the Noldor go off into exile, but she doesn't 
but she still got to get, she still has to end up in Middle Earth, right? Like, we got to get her over there somehow. So he's like, well, maybe she went over on her own for different reasons, but like, anyway, so it's, you know, this is him trying to like, you know, sort of square the circle in, 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 in a couple different ways. Um, like, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that. My context for all of this, I'm just like playing it out in my head. I'm like, granted, I don't know all the pieces that are moving, but I'm like, it sounds like she was on an epic gap year and met everybody across the world and became <laughs> best buds with them and then invited right. them all to the club and everybody was making nice, you know? Right, right. And honestly- but that would make sense in the terms of this story. We're seeing in terms these, of the like, story, crazy adventures. Yes, that's actually like Galadriel on a gap year yeah. is actually not a bad synopsis of what we see of Galadriel in the trailer, is it? I mean, like Pretty that's much. kind of, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I could, um, I absolutely can see um, them basically kind of playing up that kind of thing to have Galadriel be somebody who's still kind of on the make trying to find, she doesn't have a role, right? Gilgalad has a place and a role. Elrond even has a place and a role at Gilgalad's side. Celebrimbor has his place and has his deal, right? Galadriel has greatness, has potential, has history, but doesn't yet have a place. Yeah, she's she's still totally finding herself. I'm Um, making t-shirts. She's on a gap year. She's on a gap year, exactly, exactly. That's, that, I mean... That absolutely can work and is actually, in its way, I think, a fairly cunning way to kind of blend together a whole bunch of the different free-floating Galadriel and Celeborn ideas that mm-hmm. Tolkien had out there, right? Now, here's the other element. And this, of course, was under a lot of discussion. Um, um, one of the things that I'm doing here, by the way, um, there were a whole bunches of times when back a few weeks back when uh, lots of people were yelling at me on Twitter. Um I, there were a whole bunch of things that I couldn't really respond to or explain because I'm like, there's no way I can like, this is so complicated. I can't do justice to this in 140 characters or whatever, 280 characters even. Um, what I'm doing right now is the long explanation that I never had a chance to do before. Just just to, to make sure that that's, like, that, the, that's perfectly it's clear. It's also the long explanation of like half of one of the things that happened. Like when, yeah, when Corey exactly. sends me messages of like what we're going to talk about during these shows, I get like two bullet points and I know that's going to fill two hours. Like, <laughs> yeah, and we're exactly. probably not going to get to, we're probably not going to get to the second bullet point. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. But, exactly. but this also kind of speaks to the depth of material we have. Yes. So like, I, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms, but like my hope, if they haven't hired you or somebody that has that kind of level of knowledge, are they aware of the depth that they could be looking over in terms of so creation? Here's, here's, I don't know anything at all about right. the people involved <laughs> in the show. Like, I mean, I, I, okay. I know nothing more than was revealed in Vanity Fair about the people involved in the show. Um, uh, I, but here's one thing that I will. So, so I don't know, like I, you know, the extent to which we can trust their, mm-hmm. like their taste, like what they're going to choose to do, you know, whether, whether they're going to be making good choices or bad. You know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I have no idea what to say about that. Um, one thing that I feel really confident in though, um, I feel very confident that they have people who know Tolkien really well and love Tolkien very much like that. I, because and this is the thing, and this and here I'm extrapolating. I'm extrapolating here. Um, I've been involved now in a couple adaptation projects. I was consulting um, on the the Amazon Games um, 
new MMO version of the Lord of the Rings stuff that was in production. I was consulting with them. They got, just got canceled like six months ago. Um, I was consulting on that uh, with that team. Um, I'm consulting on a different game, Tolkien game right now. Um, and so like just like, and both times I've been involved in, you know, in like a backstage production. I have not been involved at any point in the Amazon show. Let me make that perfectly clear. Um, there was an absolute firewall up, by the way, between Amazon Games and the Amazon TV production. Um, so there was like no contact there. I was working with Amazon Games, but I wasn't working with uh, the. I had no connection whatsoever um, to the um, uh, to the T uh, to the to the TV production. But anyway. Um, Every time, so like, not just when I've been myself actively involved, but even when I've been, like, I, the Lord of the Rings Online people as well, right? When I first, um, you know, got to know the developers who work on the Lord of the, you know, on, on Lotro. Every time I've been backstage, whether I'm participating backstage or I've met the folks from backstage at a production of this kind, mm -hmm. I've always found people who not only who know their stuff really well, but who have a passion for this, yeah. you know, um, I believe that to be true, even of things that I quite dislike, like uh, Shadows of Mordor video game. Right. Um, I don't know the developers of the Shadows of Mordor, but I know the Tolkien consultant who worked on that game. Um, I know and respect her. Despite the shadows of Mordor. Um, and I know she knows her stuff. Like I know she knows her stuff really, really well. So um, sometimes people, I hear people talking about the Amazon show and they're asking questions like, you know, like, Oh, like, you know, I hope they know what they're talking about. It's like, look, they know what they're talking about. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent confident that have they have people who know they're sending. Yeah. yeah. They, have hired, they have hired a consultant. I promise. And, and this is, and, and remember this is again, and I'm not, um, if I ever mentioned Jeff Bezos in a way, which isn't insulting, people get mad at me, but it is known that Jeff Bezos loves the Lord of the Rings. Like he, he is a Tolkien fan. Um, one of the but reasons it's his best interest for it to yes, stand yeah, to his I mean, expectations. It's I'm not saying that this show is merely a passion project, um, you know, inspired by Jeff Bezos's passion. But I mean, he has said that was part of why he wanted to invest this much money in this, why he wanted. There are other functions, of course. There are other ends that they have in mind uh, that they hope I'm sure that I'm sure, you know, the Amazon Corporation hopes that this show will help to facilitate. But part of that, at least. And so, like, do I feel confident that there were people who not only knew Tolkien really well, know Tolkien really well, but, like, have that passion? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty confident that um, they have people who know what they're talking about. So, yes, then, I, am I, am, I, I feel 100% sure going in, not ever having met the people before, I feel 100% sure that these people both know and care about what they're talking about, um, what they're going to do, what choices they're going to make, whether I'm going to like that, how different they would be from the choices I would make. Those are all open questions, you know? Um, but, um, but there's and definitely, just because they, and just because they have wonderful consultants doesn't mean they're utilizing that information it just means they have them, but you would hope that they use them. I mean, I think about like general TV production for like a medical drama, they're going to have a team of researchers just to make sure that the medical ailments that they present are accurate. So it's yeah. in everybody's best interest to have that same kind of professionalism and depth on a production of this nature. 
Right. And and by the way, yeah, that's incorporated. That, yeah, exactly. That's a really fun parallel for that reason, right? A lot of I mean, um I uh, we don't watch medical shows in my house. My wife is a doctor. We don't watch medical shows uh, in my house, not because it annoys her, but because it's too much like work. Like it's, yeah. it's like this is this is the, you know we're 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 off duty at this point. You know it's it's not the world she wants not to escapist. go back to all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. not escapist at all for her. Um, so um, uh, anyway, um, she. Uh, but I mean, but when we have what, or when there are, you know, medical issues that come up in other contexts and things, you know, she will sometimes be like, okay, that is not at all right, accurate right. or whatever. Um, and lots of people do, you know, people do the same thing with like, you know, uh, you know, Anything. lawyers talking about legal dramas or whatever. The point is not now, is it possible that some of these shows and some of these things are just like making stupid mistakes and they don't know what they're talking about? That's possible. But I think much more often they're like, okay, we know like take the the old you know the the old classic show ER right you know like the people who made ER they know that's not what your average day in an ER is like like they're well aware of that fact right but it's um, real boring to show 6 hours of no exactly right i mean i remember my, my my wife this was ER was coming out when my wife was not yet a doctor so she did yeah. used to watch that back in the day um and basically when she started doing rotations and stuff in the emergency room, she would be like, okay, basically an ER episode is like six months worth of interesting right. things and the ER condensed into one hour. My dad's also a family doctor and he was like, the amount of, of things they show versus what's actually happening, like 99% of the stuff that comes in, they didn't have to come in for. It's a runny nose or it's, you know, yeah. a, a bruise on the arm. It's exactly. things that would not play well on television. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My wife, when she was working in the ER, once literally had a mother bring her baby in because it had bumps on its tongue. And she was like, they're supposed to be there. It's fine. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh wait. <laughs> never mind. I won't even anyway, mention that. that. She actually rode in an ambulance for that. But never mind. Never mind. The point is, um, it's not that they don't know, you know, what things are, but they're going to be making, they're going to be yeah. lots of places where they're yeah. going to say, I know this is unrealistic. I know this is not how it really is. Even, we're going to yeah. choose, like, I know this is not actually, like, a symptom of this disease or whatever. We're going to we're gonna bend that. We're going to stretch that for, yeah. because we're subordinating it to the story, right? For the sake of the story, we want this to happen. And so we're just going to make, we don't care. We don't care and, if I mean, And if we're thinking yeah. of this in terms of an adaptation for Amazon, like, if you've told me now that there is this love triangle that potentially could happen, they're not going to just use that as one playoff. They could potentially... Again, yeah. potentially, we don't know. That is a thing that seeds could be planted over the course of multiple episodes and woven in so it becomes a bigger issue. So even right. though it started with one paragraph, all of a sudden it's an all-encompassing plot point. Yeah. So we don't know yeah. that's going to happen, but it could be because that's how these shows work. It's, it's exactly. quite boring to just watch a one-off. I want to see the tension build for something like that. Exactly. So this is just like, I do think... Um, a lot of times people will look at, and by the way, this is, you can see illustrations of this in Peter Jackson too. Take um, one of the top three, maybe even the top one um, Tolkien fan pet peeve of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films, what they did to Faramir, right? Um, they knew full well. It's like, you know, um, to hear some Tolkien fans talk about it, you'd think that Peter Jackson and Philip Boyens we're just totally clueless about Faramir's mm -hmm. character. Like Faramir's mm -hmm. not like that. Faramir would never do that. They knew that. 
they changed it on purpose knowing that and of course it, you know many people who see that you can hear you can hear Philippa Boyne's talking about that. She quotes mm -hmm. Faramir's line about not taking the ring if he found it by the highway. And then she immediately says, we couldn't have that. You know, yeah. that wouldn't work in our story at all. Um, so we 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 changed it. And right. what a, I mean, that's, to me, that is such a bold move for a, a creator. And I respect them so much when they do that to say, yeah, we made a really conscious decision to change something because the, the art of adaptation is telling a good story. So yeah. if you're able to recognize that something doesn't work in the way you want to tell a story, you're acknowledging it's different, managing that expectation of your fandom, who still are going to be pissed about it. But, you know, right. at least you're not saying, oh, what? I didn't do anything. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, so I, now again, I, I, I. Am like ready to defend their right to do that, um, to make that kind of choice. Now, I, 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 I disliked it. I, I disliked the way that I, 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 on the whole, I dislike what they did with Faramir's character um, in the films. But, uh, but again, the thing to be careful of is don't, as a viewer, as a fan, don't assume that they're doing what they're doing out of ignorance or malice. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this is why it's so important. I think it's so important to just first and foremost, try to consume the adaptation as try to understand its story. What is this story doing, right? What is happening in this story? What is how, what are the dynamics of the story that they're telling? Then once you get that, now you can compare and contrast, right? Um, and we, we might not get that payoff right away. We don't know how they're going to tell this story. So they could yeah. do something in episode one that we are like, what on earth? Because it won't have the payoff until episode eight. And just like the backfill of Tolkien, this is what's going to be happening. So right. I do wonder how they're going to release it, if it's going to be all in one chunk and we can marathon it, or if they're going to be episodic. You know, I think that's a really big decision right now in the industry. My like, guess is episodic. They, they, they released like, the Wheel of Time one a week for yep. eight weeks. So I suspect that that's what they're going to do um, I would as well. with the show. But um, anyway, let me come back to one last point about Galadriel, uh, because we've almost left her behind. But... Yeah. Um, Back to back to finishing up all the stuff I couldn't explain in 280 characters, because, of course, one of the things that people that a lot of people objected to um, was her apparent youth. Um, the idea of like young peppery Goadriel, go um, which not only can you see on screen, but which the showrunners were quoted as, you know, talking about the piss and vinegar line right from the Vanity Fair um, uh, thing. And. A, there was a lot of outrage among Tolkien fans who, again, seemed to be operating under the assumption that the Amazon people were simply ignorant about the fact that Galadriel was born back in the first age. Right. So she's going to be centuries old by this time. The idea of a young Galadriel is ridiculous. And I was sitting here and I'm like, OK, this is actually really ironic. Right. Because on the one hand, everything else, aside, it doesn't matter. Right. They, if they want to position her in a particular way, again, think about what we were saying about Elrond, right? Showing Elrond as visibly youthful is a really good way to sort of establish the Goadriel, or sorry, the Gil, I keep saying Goadriel instead of Gilgalad, the Gilgalad Elrond like hierarchy on screen, relationship on dynamic on screen mm -hmm. without having to belabor it, without having to like spend a whole episode establishing it or whatever, right? Um, so, um, uh, Anyway, um, she, okay, so, so if, going back to what we said before about Goadriel, 
right? If they decide, okay, Galadriel is the bridge builder. She doesn't have a place. She's still kind of a, she's in that gap year, right? If they, if, right. They, if they do depict like this kind of gap year Galadriel establishing, you know, deepening relationships, mm-hmm. um, serving as an intermediary figure, um, uh, and and she, from a narrative standpoint, from the show's perspective, what a useful character she is in that way. Yeah. The one who's roaming around like, hey, we can get to Linden and then we can follow her oh. back to Eregion and then we can go meet the dwarves and we can do and all that. And then four more seasons to pay off on all that. Exactly, exactly. She's the one, she is absolutely the best candidate to put into that kind of position, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Um, how are you going to depict her? Uh, you know, like, what do you... Uh, a lot of people had this immediate emotional reaction. I believe because most people were picturing Kate Blanchett and Peter Jackson's Goadriel, this like ethereal, um, aloof elf queen, you know, who speaks kind of like strangely with strange intonations, you know, and that kind of thing all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not complaining. Like, please, do, please don't think I'm bashing this. I'm not. I, Kate Blanchett's Galadriel's lovely. That's great. I have no problems with that. But that is obviously not the character that they would want if they're going to do Gap Year Galadriel. She can't act like that. She can't look like that, right? Their choice to say, let's have her look young. Let's Mm -hmm. show Gap Year Galadriel, right? Mm -hmm. We can provide a cue to what her role is in the story, um, by showing her as this like young adult transitional, still trying to find her niche in the world kind of age person, right? At least looking like that. And um, visually so different from the Gladriel we've seen in Jackson. So that separates yeah. it immediately from you yeah. know, the, the yeah. powerful one that we're familiar with. Because exactly, because we're going to make all these other associations. You know, she's not in the second age. She isn't yet the elf mm-hmm. queen in the middle of the magic forest, mm-hmm. right? That's not, she's, she's going to get there, but she's not there at that point. In very few of Tolkien's depictions of her in the second age, when he was trying out second age ideas, was she that yet, right? Um, so, um, uh, yeah. okay. And, and uh, anyway, so, but here's the funny thing, right? And here's the thing that I was finding deeply, deeply ironic. On the one hand, there were all these people who were saying, this is wrong, they're getting this wrong, Galadriel's not young, she's old already by this time, and that it's not a significant amount of, for an elf, there's no difference between how old she is in the second age and how old she is in the third age. And, uh, and, and, and I was, so I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, I totally respect you people who are saying these things. Like, I get it. You're, you, you know Tolkien Lord, you're steeped in this, this matters to you. I, I respect that, I really, really do. But I would argue against those people, even just for the sake of the freedom of the adaptation, right? I can absolutely see why mm-hmm. the adap- that those adaptation choices, if they were just simply making a change, if they were yeah. like, we know Galadriel's Kate Blanchett all the way back to the first age, right? But we're not going to do it that way on purpose because that doesn't work for, for the story. I would defend that. I'd be ready to defend that choice. Again, that doesn't mean that I think the story they write is going to be awesome. Maybe it would suck, right? You know, just as I would theoretically defend their ability to do the thing with Faramir that they did, but I didn't like it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I yeah. think it worked well. I dislike what they no, did with Faramir. They're allowed to make the decision as a creator. 
Yes, but they but they, but it's perfectly legitimate. It's a perfectly legitimate adaptation choice to mm -hmm. make. I I hated it, and maybe I would end up hating the Gladiol choice that they. Maybe I will end up hating the Gladiol choice that they make. But here's the additional layer of irony on top of that, right? The additional layer of irony is that since they shot season one, right? Since they shot it, so it was in the can already. The nature of Middle Earth was published, right? And in the nature of Middle Earth, we get all this stuff about we get like a, a hundreds of pages on elvish aging patterns and all of the world building that Tolkien was doing in his later years as he was trying to retrofit the Silmarillion to the much more detailed world of the Lord of the Rings. And there are two things that we see, one general and one specific. Uh, uh, <laughs> Higgy's wondering, how long have I been holding this book off camera? Uh, no, it's just, it, it sits right here on my desk, right over here. Uh, it's Always. been sitting here for since September because I teach it every Wednesday night. So um, The Nature of Middle-Earth has been sitting right here at my left hand uh, for since, since, since September. That's why I keep flashing it up on screen uh, during various shows because it's always right here. Anyway, um, so the, uh, the in The Nature of Middle-Earth, we see... Two things. One, generally, Tolkien thinking through, exactly thinking through elvish aging patterns with intense amounts of math, right? And the main thing that we see him doing, he wanted, his number one emphasis is to make elvish aging patterns parallel to human aging patterns. Now, he makes variations and differences in exactly how that works and how the ratios work and stuff like that. He, you know, he goes through bunches of different versions of that. But... That elves merely, you know, age up in like 50 years or something to adulthood and then plateau for tens of thousands of years is explicitly what Tolkien was undoing mm -hmm. in his calculations, right? When he was, so his decisions about how elves should be um, is that even though they might be centuries old, they're still young. In, uh, in they're still parallel to human, and they're they and 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 so that, that's the general thing, right? Um, but the specific thing is that there are two characters whose ages he keeps coming back to, whose like uh, life events he uses as a touchstone. He's checking his math basically, right? He's he he's not he's Tolkien, so he doesn't just say here's how the story works. He wants a system that will be able to be applied. And he's doing math in order to calculate the system, okay? And uh, um, so he um, he's doing math to calculate the system, but he has to check his calculations, right? Given the ratios that I'm playing with right here, does it fit with the established career patterns of existing elves? And there are really three characters he kept coming back to to see if his calculations would work. Mm -hmm. And they were Arwen... Elrond and Galadriel, sure. right? Um, and Arwen, of course, because she's thousands of years old when she marries Aragorn, right? And one of the things that he is trying to establish is that Arwen, when she marries Aragorn, is actually only relatively recently of like she's still marriageable. She's marriageable age. She's the equivalent of a woman in like her like early thirties ish, right? There again, he kind of varied uh, along, with, but. Um, 
he he basically wants Aragorn and Arwen, like as he's reworking the system, he wants the system to come out so that Aragorn and Arwen are basically a marriage of equals. Mm-hmm. This is not like Aragorn marrying some like ancient person, right? Um, um, he's like actually proportionally older than she is. That's kind of where he wanted it to be. And I was te- teasing him. There are a couple of places in his early calculations when he actually has things shifted around so that Aragorn is verging on um, uh, is verging on robbing the cradle, which is really funny, uh, given that she's a couple thousand years older than he is. Right. Um, anyway, I won't. I'm, I'm, I'm done here in just a minute. Yeah, I need the, to go. <laughs> I know. I know. I do, too. I do, too. But the point is the conceptual description of where of where like where he wanted Galadriel's age to be, right? What he kept coming back to, the touchstone with Galadriel. Um, what he wanted her to be a young adult establishing he he wanted to have gap year Galadriel in the second age and have her aging to the point that there was a massive difference for him between where she was in the early parts of the second age and where she is at the end of the third age. He wants her to go from like early young professional trying to make it in the world, Galadriel, just married and, 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 and making her own way to nearing retirement, Galadriel at the end of the third age. So there's a massive life difference anyway. But, and, but the irony is the Amazon people could not possibly have known this. They could not possibly, but yet ironically, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to these Tolkien fans reacting and I'm like, you're, yeah, I'm going to run. I, gotta I love you guys. Back. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like, don't want, I don't want you to rush it for me, but like there's a screaming baby. So I'm going to say this totally. was awesome and totally. I'll see you next week, but keep going, Corey. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you go. I'll let you go. <laughs> cool. Anyway, I'm going to stop cause I gotta, I gotta go too. And I can talk forever about this, but anyway, the point is simply, um, but you guys can see the irony of the situation, right? Where these Tolkien fans, who again, who, whom I respect, who know Tolkien really well, but I think most of them hadn't read The Nature of Middle-earth yet, are saying like, that's impossible, they're getting it wrong. And I'm like, the irony is, not only are they free to make that decision, like it's a perfectly legitimate adaptation decision, the irony is they're actually kind of right and you're kind of wrong, though neither one of you knew it, right? And I mean, it's, it's, really, it's, really, it's really kind of funny. Anyway, okay, I will um, I will let everybody go. We're over time. Maggie had to run and get her baby. I got to run and pick up my kids. So we're uh, um, we're coming to um, uh, we're coming to to the end of our time. Um, thanks everybody. We're gonna uh, we'll we'll be back next week. I do have some uh, travel coming up. Um, I will be here next week. Uh, so we'll have a regular show next week. We're hoping to have another guest with us next week, which should be a lot of fun. Um, and. Um, uh, uh, and then I'll, I'll be gone at least the week after that. I think possibly actually that we might have to miss two weeks in a row, um, last week of April and the first week of May. Um, but we'll see. I'll update you guys about that next week, but we'll certainly, uh, we'll certainly be back, um, be back next week. So, um, thanks everybody. Um, yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually here like totally checking my email to see about our uh, uh, if we if we're gonna have a guest for next time anyway we'll we'll see we'll, we'll be good thanks everybody uh for joining us today really fun discussion um we'll see i hope we're gonna get more uh um more direct material right more uh, uh more primary texts uh from the Amazon folks here coming up soon. Um, it'll be fun to talk about some new stuff there. Um, but I was really glad to get a chance to talk about this elf stuff in preparation before we see anything more. Right. Um, 
Uh, thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now.